And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become, from selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Hey, this is Bill Florio. Hey, it's Dave Harrison. Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell. All right, today we got Annie Saunders from This Is My Fist. Annie is a veterinarian. Don't tell that to the cows. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Eddie's a veterinarian, uh, and she's worked all kinds of veterinarian jobs. Whenever we get someone who's scientific, I feel like we ask lots of random questions and get lots of random information, which is my favorite thing ever. We, and, we, and a lot of times, whenever it's someone that has a job that we could use for free advice, we do that as well. So this is a good combination oh, of that. It's like, it's like car talk today. So. But she was, so, she was super <laughs> down for it. I thought, you know, her different types of, of vet experience were, was really interesting and how she got into it. I have to say, this is probably the episode we talked the least about music, but um, it also seemed like we covered the most of what we wanted to do with this podcast. Which is discuss expressing dogs' anal glands. Exactly. Yeah, two, 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 hold on a second. Two things. One, she outright said, like, a lot of her skills she got from punk rock. And two, I want to put a disclaimer. Don't yeah. eat dinner during this episode. <laughs> I literally was doing that, and I never have a problem, and I was getting so fucking grossed out. No, because there was eyeball talk <laughs> way before I talked about asses. There was lots uh, more. And then she brought up asses with the fisting the, the cows way before I did. I texted Craig, I'm sorry, right before this is the and she was like, oh, just have her talk about gross stuff. That's all she does. <laughs> but yeah, it's really good. If you love animals, you'll still love this episode. So let's roll the tape. So we usually start this with like, who are you? And what do you do for a living? Hi, I'm Annie. Uh, I'm a veterinarian. So what did you want to be when you grew up? A veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's what every, every little girl wants to be when they grow up, I found. I know, I know. It's like so classic. But it, it's really hard. It's really hard to actually become a veterinarian, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. I did not realize how hard it was going to be until I was firmly entrenched in the process and it was like too late to go back. So <laughs> I heard it's even harder than becoming a dermatologist. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just, you know really slightly below podiatrist, no, but no, 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 dermatologist. No, no, in all honesty, if you go to medical, it's hard enough to get into medical school, don't yeah. get me wrong, but to become a dermatologist is like the most sought after thing. Oh, really? I guess it's the least, you know, stressful thing or something. Huh, I did not know that. Was... Which makes sense, you know, you don't get really usually get people that are sick and coughing on you and stuff. Right, yeah. it's like an ingrown toenail, yeah. probably yeah, is. You could pretty much don't, most, most people won't call you at two in the morning, I guess, you know. That's true, that's true. I, I can't say the same for veterinarians. Now, what about veterinary dermatologists? Is that tough? 
Oh, yeah. You have to go back, like after you do your regular vet school, then you have to go back and get a residency or do an internship, then a residency in just specific to dermatology. And so that's like another four years. So there's a lot lot of people bringing their pets and their dogs in for acne and stuff like that? Yeah. A lot, you know, I think a lot of it is actually focused on uh, allergies. There's a lot of things in a lot of different foods and, and it's just real. So, you know, just like us, animals have allergies and that's compounded by the fact that we've like gone to great lengths to inbreed animals to the point where, you know, their genetics are just, just, they're just little mutants. I mean, they're adorable mutants, but they're mutants. And so they tend to have is, a lot is of... Is that the, the purebreds or is that the, the mutts too? No, mutts tend to be pretty, pretty solid um, in general. Yeah. I mean, always, yeah. I'm always up for a good mutt. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, too. I'm staring at my dog obsessively chewing her feet right now as you're saying this, by the way. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I was told that most vets like get started in high school. And it, I was also told that that is not how you did it. Is that true? No, I did not. I did not go that path at all out of high school. Um, I mean, I think I was your typical like gothy punk misfit outcast in in school like uh uh the kids would call me beetlejuice right before they shoved me into a locker so you know <laughs> and i i thought i took that as a point of pride i was like actually it's lydia but you know <laughs> um <laughs> but that was like you know late 80s wearing the striped black and white tights and stuff like that so but yeah i was really heavily into art and i I started playing in bands at 15. So, you know, painting and drawing and art is the way I thought I was going to go. After high school, I actually went to like a year of college and was focusing on art and graphic design. And then I got a job at the local newspaper doing graphic design and layout. And they, they taught me on the job. And I did that for about seven years before I found my way back to veterinary stuff. So it, it, it's weird. It's like a weird nonlinear course towards the goal I had when I was five. <laughs> well, what drew you back to being a veterinarian? Was it a love of animals? Was it a hatred of animals? I mean, what, what, what was it What was it that brought you back from art to, uh, to animals? I just want to cut all their nuts off. <laughs> um, no, it, I did see your Phil Spector post, by the way, on your Facebook. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. There's, it's not really often that I'm like, I'm glad someone's dead, but there's, there's been quite a few in the last year or two that I'm like, yeah, good riddance. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, you're talented, but you're also a piece of shit. So, (laughs) um, Actually, the the way I got into back into thinking about vet school, because I did not do any animal anything in high school at all. I was actually really bad at science and um, I just wasn't interested in much of anything except, you know, playing in bands and seeing bands and skateboarding and all the fun stuff. And I didn't really have a plan. Um, and my, you know, home life was a little combustible at times. So it was just, you know, I, I just didn't really have a, a direction. And where did you grow up? Uh, Bensonville, Illinois. <laughs> it's a, it's about, I don't know, maybe 20 miles west of Chicago. So pretty uh, suburban. Yeah. 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 When we moved there, there weren't that many people living in the town. It was kind of a railroad hub. And, uh, 
So there was like a lot of, for lack of a better word, like white trash and that, you know, a lot of kind of rednecky, you know, we had a sheep farm across the street from us, but it was still in close proximity to Chicago. And then, you know, by the time I, I left that town at 17, it was a lot more suburbanized. And, you know, uh, I think now half the town is gone because of the O'Hare airport expansion, which is kind of weird. <laughs> uh, so you weren't doing 4-H or anything uh, in high school or anything like that? Oh, no. Oh, I we we had we always had animals in my house growing up, but I didn't do anything vet related at all. Um, the most exciting thing was that I'd always want to go to the vet with my mom when we took our own animals in, but that was about it. Um, and when I later in life, like I went through, like I said, I went through like a year of community college after high school. Didn't really wasn't really able, now looking back on that, I couldn't afford to pay for it. Was kind of funny considering my student loan debt now. But um, yeah, so I, I kind of putzed around and I worked in graphic design. And I think in like 1997, I decided to go back and I actually started going for history. And so I studied uh, labor history, like a focus on labor history, really specifically Chicago labor history. And there was a U of I is not known for having, um, that was University of Illinois, sorry. Um, they are not known for being very tight on their admin stuff. And they made this really huge clerical error that forced me to have to drop out for um, at least a semester and then start back up again. And in that meantime, I was like, well, what am I going to do? So what did they, they forget to give you the class for the prerequisite for like Haymarket Riots tour or something like that? <laughs> I did do the Haymarket Riots tour. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. Um, but uh, no, they they basically had me in their system twice under two different birth dates. And and so I would I got issued two different financial aid checks um, during that time when there were still like grants and things you could get in undergrad. And uh, so I, I would always talk to the financial aid department, like, which is the real check? Like, I don't know why you haven't fixed this problem yet, but which check do I use? Did you, they have you on two different birthdays because one of those was a fake ID to get a divorce? <laughs> I did have a fake ID. <laughs> you should have just went to 8th Street and got one there. And, uh... There you go. <laughs> you need a quality fake ID. <laughs> I'd rather have a crappy fake ID than have a fake ID that gets me thrown out of college. I mean, the fake ID I bought on 8th Street, all it could do is get me thrown out of the pep lounge. <laughs> there you go, not college. No, um, I actually had a fake ID that I got. Um, I was pretty straight laced. So I didn't drink or anything. I, I got a fake ID so I could get into shows that I couldn't get into. So yeah, that's what they're for. Yeah, I had a green card, a fake green card that said I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> it was great back in like the, the early mid 80s. You'd go to like these clubs and you'd walk up and you'd show your fake ID. And the guy's like, you got this on 8th Street. And then he'd let you in. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's, it's, it's CBGB's Karen would like make kids cry ahead of me in line and i just showed her my bus pass it didn't have my name on it you just have to you know you just have to be like hey this is it <laughs> i remember going to 8th street and looking at all the fake ids and being like you know they give you they try and give you like a what said you, like your driver's license was from like utah and it like looked like it looked like just like a laminated piece of paper. And then when I moved to Kentucky and I got my first Kentucky driver's license, I was like, oh, maybe this is real because it is just like a laminated piece of paper. But 
You know, the, the worst was uh, the interior. Wouldn't my friend Mike Goodwin, they never let him in no matter what. They tell him, you can't come in. He'd be like, why not? You have to have a date. And then he'd be standing outside and, and somehow he'd convince some girl to walk up with him and say he was his date and they still wouldn't let him in. Wait, why <laughs> did he have to have a date? Because it, it was, was, it, was interior, it was like a velvet rope, rope thing. <laughs> yeah, the velvet rope. And they had to, but they, they was like the velvet rope where it's like celebrities. It was a velvet rope where there's some weird guy behind the velvet rope that <laughs> picked people he felt like it just because he had the power. Well, it, and like, did, I went there and they'd be like, you get in free. And I'm like, why? Because you look. <laughs> well, didn't they do like those rules where it had to be like two to one women to men? Not dance interior. Dance interior, you couldn't tell who the women or men were. <laughs> so so what, what what happened? What was the moment where you changed your mind on oh, what you were going to do? Yeah. So basically, I contacted the financial aid department and I said, which check? I have two financial aid checks here. Like, which one is the right one? And they told me which one was the right one. And I deposited it. That was not the right one. <laughs> and so basically, about three weeks later, my bank account, what I used to do is just pay my rent for like the three months, you know, through the semester. So I wouldn't even have to think about rent anymore. And so I got a message about three weeks later saying that my uh, bank account was like negative $1,200. And so I, and they were saying like, we can have you arrested for bank fraud. And I'm like, oh, and this is the U of I's credit union, by the way. It's like they, they have all the access to everything. But, and so I just said, screw it. And, um, I decided to uh, just work and and pay that off until I could resolve it. I kind of didn't know what to do because I'd always worked in like print shops or copy places and there just wasn't any of that work available. So I was like, huh, you know, you always wanted to do animal stuff. So I got a job at like a dog training place, like a school, like a they boarded dogs and they trained them during the day and things like that. And so I started getting some animal handling experience and then I really liked it. And so when the time came to go back to school, I was like, I don't think I want to. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I applied at uh, Higgins Animal Clinic in Chicago and I got hired on as a assistant and just, I mean, it, back in, in, you know, this was 1998 or so, 9, so I don't know, somewhere back there. And, um, you know, at that time you could actually learn on the job, uh, you didn't have to go to school to be a vet assistant or a vet tech. So I basically learned on the job and uh, sorry about my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so appropriate. Yeah, really. I think Jesse put that in for a soundtrack. <laughs> put a little, some crickets too. I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, I'm I can send it. you a whole lot of dog. <laughs> like she's a coonhound, so she just she has this like bay. It's like she just treed a squirrel, but there's no squirrel and no tree. I don't I don't get it. But I'm definitely gonna pick a one of my friends to decide that his new nickname is coonhound. <laughs> my sister had my sister had a treeing walker coonhound. And oh yeah. It would it was it was great, but it was loud as hell, and it would. It would disappear for, it would catch a scent and it would disappear for like a week. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens actually. You're not really supposed to, like, unless they're like really well trained, you should never let a scent hound off the leash or out of a yard because they put their nose to the ground and then they look up and they're seven miles away. So. They don't, yeah, they don't even know they're doing it, right? Like they just yep. wake up. I mean, she used to have her, she's luckily lives in like a rural area, but she would, yeah, she would get calls from neighbors that would see the the tags and they, and it would be five miles away and it would be, yep. it'd be like, come pick up your dog. Yep. 
<laughs> that sounds like a hound dog. <laughs> so, so you said you were working as an assistant. Is that the same as a vet tech? It's not. There, a vet tech is a has a license. Uh, it's kind of like being a registered nurse in human terms. Um, they have a state license, and the the things that they're allowed to do are um, a lot more complex. Assistants usually help with you know running lab work, restraining animals for exams. You do some kennel cleaning, poop scooping, um, things like that. And so uh, I was really lucky that I was at a place that wanted to wanted to teach teach me because I think that's kind of hard to find right now. And then I just never went back. <laughs> I, mo- <laughs> I moved to the Bay Area um, in... I moved to the Bay Area a month exactly after 9-11 and everyone thought I was nuts because I was flying there. And I'm like, it's probably the safest time ever to fly ever. So I I moved out to the Bay Area and uh, got a job at the Humane Society, started working there. Then I kind of changed it up and went into ER. So I was working at an ER in the East Bay for a while. And uh, and then I ended up at um, a veterinarian, just a regular day practice in Oakland. And I stayed there for, I don't know, six years maybe until I decided I wanted to try and go to vet school. And then I moved back to Chicago to complete the prerequisites for vet school. Um, because you didn't all go I back had... to the same school, did you? <laughs> no, but funny enough, I ended up there for vet school. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I told the story of how I, the reason I got, when I had my vet school interview, it's like a very meticulous, nerve wracking process. Like you have to wear a business suit, which I've never worn in my whole life. You know, basically they ask the same questions like, why do you want to be a vet? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's boring shit, but I think anyone going into vet school, you think that is like the pinnacle of what's going to stress you out at that time. And then you get in and you're like, oh, that was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the levels of stress, no, no bounds once you get in. But um, yeah, I told them that story about how I was weird about U of I because they had messed up this this, this uh, financial aid aspect. And But I also said, I think that was maybe supposed to happen like a fate because it brought me back to what I originally wanted to do. And I found myself sitting in front of three professors getting interviewed to potentially go there. So um, I think they like But I'm that. sure when they still call you, when they call you for like donations as an alumni, you probably tell them to go fuck themselves, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no niceness about it. I'm like, I'm thou- hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I don't have a spare dime to give you. I ate saltine crackers for dinner last night. So yeah, I can't, I can't give you any money. <laughs> At some point you had a pick a path as, as far as like what type of vet veterinary science you're going to go into. Is that right? Yeah. A lot of schools have um, like a focus, like you can go like, I just want to be small animal like dogs and cats. And then you can have another focus where you want to do cows, like large animal stuff, cows, horses, goats, zoo animals, because they're technically just kind of cows and horses just on a different scale. And so I chose the, the path to go to farm, the farm route. Um, which is not what I thought I would do when I got into school. Um, I was firmly in the thought that I would do shelter medicine or potentially ER because those are the the slices of vet med that I had already been in, and I really loved I really loved both of them. But then I got a taste of farm med, and I just fell in love with it, and I fell in love with cows. 
and that's where I focused my most of my schooling on um, that and shelter med. So you know, spay neuters, things like that. So so that leads me Annie to a question that mm-hmm. I you know I'm I'm the most emotional animal lover, and we have two cats, a dog, and a horse, and like <laughs> I literally you know they're all rescues, and 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 I I could never do what you do. How do you separate your own emotions about animals from your job and and have you become less sensitive to that because of your job? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that also ties into the problem of really bad mental illness in the vet community right now because it's hard because in the eyes of the law, pets are still property. Um, There has been a lot of um, forward movement in animal abuse uh, legislation, you know, uh, like Wisconsin just in, uh, I think, March of 2020 finally made animal abuse a felony, which, you know, it's seems way too late, but at least it's pushing forward. But it is really hard because, you know, I'd say most often, and it's not always the case, but most of the time, the animals I would see, especially I used to work in an ER and the animals that you would see have been ill for so long and the problem has been neglected for so long. And you just, it's really hard to think like this poor thing has been suffering for months. And, but now it's almost Christmas and the dog is you know, pissing in the house everywhere and they have guests coming over. So now it's like an inconvenience and now they want to deal with it, which is basically like, I want to euthanize it. And it's really hard because, you know, I, I, I'm in this field because I love animals and I hate people. So it, it's just like, it, you can get really jaded because you see it over and over and over again. Like my bullshit detector has gotten so honed down where, you know, you know, people say that, weirdest stuff when they're talking about their animals and why they're at the vet. And it's really hard because I don't know if they just don't realize like I can see that this animal's been unhealthy for a long time or been suffering for a long time. You know, it's like the person who goes, oh, he just started limping yesterday. And you're like, he has a fracture in his leg that's, you know, a month old. So uh, it's just, it's hard to separate that because if I, you know, I think everyone that is in this field has a way to compartmentalize things where, you know, I just focus on what's in front of me and what I can fix. And the other part, the other, I guess, leg of that is, you know, because animals are property, it's it's a weird, there's a weird financial dance you do with people, you know, um, because, you know, if, if, you know, I broke my leg and I went to the hospital, they would fix it whether I have the funds or not. You know what I mean? Or if I went and I had COVID, I had something, you know, they would take care of me. You know, maybe the quality would be different, but there, there would be some treatment given. With veterinary medicine, you're, you're kind of at the behest of what the owner can do um, financially. And sometimes that becomes a real problem because, you know, I've definitely had cases where the animal is completely suffering and it's enraging, you know, if somebody won't make a decision, you know, but I also understand that emotional tie to the animal because I have my own. I've always had dogs and, you know, it's, it's not an easy position to be in when you're talking about, you know, very critical illnesses or preventable illnesses. Those are the ones that get me the real, like this could have been prevented, you know, with the $15 vaccine you get at Petco or, you know, whatever. So it it is really hard because you literally have to compartment especially when I was in the ER, I have a really sad case in front of me and it's horrible and I'm mad or I'm sad. And my 
technicians are mad and sad and crying. And I mean, we all feel it really hard with every single animal. Like, So that does happen. It, even if you're putting on a professional, brave doctor face for the owner, yeah. you're, you're still, it, it'll still get to you every day. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone home and just couldn't sleep because I just kept replaying something in my head, um, you know, and it, I, I don't mean to like shit on people either, you know, but, you know, it's, it's so easy to get jaded because you just see the same thing over and over and over. But then you have that one person that's just like amazing or they understand. And, and those are the things I try to retain in my head so that I don't get super depressed all the time. You know, I think well, most people, most people can't take care of themselves, let alone another creature. Right. <laughs> so they just, so do you just, are there times where you just want to take the animal and be like, you don't get this back? Ransom it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will fix it and then give it to you later for $2,000. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's, it, yeah, it, there's definitely cases. I mean, I think one of the challenges is neglect and abuse are different things. Um, neglect is still abuse, but you have to also kind of factor in the intent behind it, the financial means of the owner. I mean, especially like the past year, you know, it, it it's hard. Everybody's really struggling. And so people skimp on things, you know. Um, a few years ago, I worked as a cow vet and, you know, the majority of my farms that I went to were small farms that had been in the family for over a hundred years. But the price of milk had dropped so heavily that, you know, they were getting the same money for milk from their dairy cows that, that they got in 1979. And trying to live on 1979 income is not manageable, not sustainable. And so a lot of these guys would start to skimp on feed and skimp on this and that, trying to keep their farm going. But then the cows suffer and they have more medical issues. So it's like this horrible cycle, you know, just the financial, I mean, that's a whole probably other podcast, but you know, the, the people's financial states, you know, have such a huge impact on their ability to care for their pets. And it's really not fair when the whole world is stacked against them too. You know, you know, you lose your job in COVID because of COVID, you know, I understand that, you know, vaccinating your puppy is probably low on your priority list, you know? And then I'm also like, why did you get a puppy? But <laughs> it's just... so, that's, so that's the thing though. I mean, it's like my mother had a friend who had two dogs and one of them died and she decided to just preemptively put the other one down. Like that's the kind of shit oh, that enrages me. Yeah, you know, like it's why? like, it's like that dog's fine. Like what, you know, like it, I'm sure it's sad and grieving that it's friend is gone, but like, it doesn't need to be put down, but you know, like yeah. she had plenty of money. She just was like, Oh, that's how, you know, that's how things are done or whatever. What? So I can no. kind of understand. <laughs> wait, wait, Dave, this is your mom. This is my mom's friend. Not my oh, mom. Okay. Okay. My mom has her own problems, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> animal abuse is not one. Of them. I mean, I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, the large animal, like most of the time that's a business, right? And right. There's a business decision, but I mean, what, what is, how do you weigh that? I mean, why did you go back to shelter? Um, and what was, what was the, be what was the good parts and the bad parts of the large animal piece? Oh, well, I mean, I, I still love large animal. I love cows. People do not give cows enough credit. They are so sentient. They remember things. You know, one of my first jobs was out at this farm and it was a cow, a dairy cow that had a abscess in her hoof. And I'll never forget her. I mean, she didn't have a name, but her number was 1812. And um, I went out there and, you know, no matter how much pain medication you give them, an abscess still hurts and you have to basically lance it and flush it out and take care of it. 
but she never forgot me. Every time I went into that barn, all the other cows, would, it was like a, you know, like the, the video for like beat it when the two guys come together and everyone like spreads <laughs> out. It's, yeah. it's like that. Like, um, like she would just kind of step in and all the other cows would back up like, oh shit. And she would put her head down and like sway back and forth. Like she, she remembered and people, people act like cows are dumb and they are really not. They're so smart, so smart. Um, and I adore them. <laughs> but, um, you know, those are the, in, in a weird way, those are the things I love about large animal because, you know, okay, this sucked for this cow for a minute, but she's still alive. She's happy. She's not in pain anymore. And if she hates me, that that's okay because, you know, she's doing okay now. Um, you know, cows, because of their huge size, if they get something that affects their joints or their feet, they just physically can't move anymore. And so, you know, but it, it's a conflicting thing. Um, I love cows. I love working with them. But I also have this horrible thing where like, I know what their end is going to be. And it's not going to be at the end of their actual natural lifespan, you know, especially in the dairy industry, which I have a, a harder time with. Um, you know, the cows are kind of perpetually kept in a state of either pregnancy or, or heat. And they're constantly producing milk. And, you know, to me, it's a little bit unnatural, I guess. So I hate that part of it. But the way I went into it was, you know, I want to foster humane and ethical treatment of these animals. Like I can't, I can't fight the industry that is the meat consumption and I'm not a vegetarian myself. So <laughs> I saw my job was to work with these farmers to provide the most like kind and ethical life that at least this animal has, which is pain-free, stress-free, fear-free. And so I, I do think I got a lot done in that aspect um, in my time there. But, and that is something that I feel really good about because having conversations with these farmers, like, you know, I, there's definitely a difference between the small farm and the big factory farm. And the small farmers, they really care about their animals, even though they know the outcome, but they have names, you know, they care about them. They'll take them into their house and their calves if they're sick, you know, and you can tell that they really enjoy the, the relationship that they have with the animals. Um, unfortunately, all the small farmers, at least here in Wisconsin, are under a lot of duress right now. But, you know, I kind of thought my role was to promote humane treatment and ethical behavior where it comes to animals. Um, you know, you just have to do like a Google search for like those awful PETA videos and stuff to see what a lot of cows have to go through, you know, in their time with us. So, but I also hated just getting hurt all the time. <laughs> I mean, I definitely, I got my ACL um, almost torn by an angry cow. I've been kicked. I've had bruises broken toes, you know, all kinds of stuff because they are big animals and they don't know, you know, they don't know their own strength. So I don't mind not doing that anymore. And I don't mind not getting called out at 2 a.m. when there's three feet of snow on the ground and it's negative 50 wind chill to go handle a calving or something like that. So there's a lot of things I don't miss about it, but I really miss that connection between the cows and their farmers. It was something really special. And I'm, I'm always really, um, I, I always think back to 
of it very fondly, even though there was a lot of bullshit that came with it. Sorry, that was really long. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, I, I'm always fascinated by that because I've I've met a few people that grew up on farms here, and exactly like what you said, where they'll be like, oh, you know, as kids they would have a pig or a cow that was like their friend, and yeah. then they'd be like, we're eating Betty today, and it's like what? <laughs> like, and and how how they have that relationship where you know I think there's some there's something so much pure more pure about that than us you know, most people who are just so separated from what they eat that yeah. like you know i don't have a relationship with any of the meat that i eat it just right. kind of shows up in a package and i eat it you know so yeah so there's something so much more it just seems so much more pure and right about understanding where that comes from and what goes into it yeah and then what we what most americans or most of the world even has to do now yeah i think it's it's a weird disconnect and it's it's something that is it really troubles me a little bit because i think there's a lot of a there's a lot of assumptions made about you know how meat is delivered in this country and you know it's all full of this and that and it's like no it's not like everything's really tested and the usda is pretty firm on their stances about what can be in milk and meat and things like that and it's a hard thing though like when you know i used to when i was a farm vet i lived on the western edge of wisconsin next kind of close to the Mississippi. And there was a lake down the road from my house and I would go down there and, you know, like about twice a week, I would go catch fish and, you know, but it, I remember the first time I caught a fish for dinner and then I was like, oh shit, like I have to kill it. <laughs> and it was really like, I had a really hard time with it. And then I'm, you know, but I'm also like, okay, this fish got to live a really good little fish life doing his thing. And I can give it a painless instant death and take sustenance from that fish. Like I don't inherently have a problem with hunting um, or fishing. It's more like I have a problem with like commercialized factory farming of meat because I think those animals are not treated very well. Um, you know, it, it, it is a weird thing though. I feel like a hypocrite like every day. <laughs> I'm going to stop the conversation for one second and tell you, if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help out with some gas money to get us the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com. Now let's get back to the show. But that, that, it makes perfect sense. I mean, we have, you know, by not far from my house, we have a swift plant. It's the, it's one of the pork plants yeah. and, and, uh, they, they get fined all the time because they're not, they're not following. It's cheaper to, for them to pay the fines for like everything than it is to actually update their machinery. Right. And you see that truck pull up with all the pigs and it's fucking, it'll ruin your day. Oh, you know, like yeah. it'll, it'll like you, you're next, like you're stopped at a stoplight and there's just like. All of those, but and I eat pork. You know, I mean, my wife doesn't eat pork anymore since that happened. Since we moved here, because she sees it all the time, she's like, I can't eat pork anymore. But uh, yeah, I have the same story. <laughs> really, <laughs> I don't eat pork. I can't. When uh, I was in a band called This Is My Fist, and we were on tour once, and we stopped at a rest stop just to like I don't know, go pee or something, and a, a big pig truck pulled up with you know dozens and dozens of pigs inside and they were all like pan it was super hot out it was summer and like they're all packed in they're packed in there the ones on the top are shitting on the ones on the bottom and they're all panting and gasping for air and i was like oh i can't i can't do it i can't do it i've never eaten i, I don't eat pork because of that and uh, have you ever ridden the subway in new york different. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I've been on the L in Chicago during a Cubs game, and that's fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Those people should be put in a truck. Well, yeah, I think I think the general like slaughter of Cubs fans in general would be a, not such a bad thing. <laughs> it, it is a very tightly packed stadium if anyone ever goes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in the shelter, though, do you feel like you get to focus more on the animals and less on the people? Yes, that's. I think that's the draw of shelter med is because I don't have to see clients um, because I have a hard time like in, in times of really like intense, like, especially in the ER because a lot of times animals come to us and it's like, you have to make a critical decision like tonight, you know? And that's a really shitty place for an owner to be in. I, I empathize and I don't want to sound like I don't empathize with them. I do. It's just, it's hard to reconcile that with the fact that what they're dealing with was like hundred percent preventable in a lot of the cases and not all the cases, but some of them, um, in, Oh shit. I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you ask me? <laughs> no, no, I was, I was, I was just asking if, if you know, like you, you, you got attracted back to the shelter because you didn't have to deal with the people as oh, much. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of my job now. So I work at a, a humane society in Wisconsin, and um, you know. It, it, it comes with its hardships. Like there's definitely like I've had to deal with abused and neglected animals or unwanted animals that have just been put in a outside kennel because they got too big and or unruly or they didn't get trained. And, and now we have to try and rehabilitate them so they can, you know, live in a home and be happy. And, you know, that sucks. But for the most part, my day, like I, I talk to the, someone from the public maybe once a week, like my sole job is just to focus on the care of the the critters we have in our in our facility, and that's it. Just takes this whole level because I, I mean I was at the point when I was doing ER that I just regretted ever going to vet school. I regretted being in it. I regretted all the trauma I went through to graduate. Like I regretted everything because, and I felt myself be, being very jaded and depressed all the time. And so you know, this was kind of a mental health move for me was to go back to shelter medicine and just focus on the animals and getting them adopted and finding the right people um, and the right homes for a lot of these animals that just are not wanted. So, and that's, I mean, that is that a big part of your job too? Is is kind of figuring figuring all that out? My dog is a is a blue healer Australian Shepherd mix, and oh, she wow. had, she had been rehomed like four times because yep. people were like, she's got too much energy, and it's like, yeah. well, of course she she's a herding dog, like that's yep. what she does, and you know, I have to walk her five miles a day, mm -hmm. pretty much. Like I, and you know, she's gotten good. Her recall has gotten good enough that I can let her run around the golf course and whatnot, and you know, yeah. she's fine. Yeah. But if I wasn't able to do that, then I could totally understand. Understand when people buy, like you know, buy or adopt a dog like that, and then they're like, they buy it or adopt it because of how it looks, and then they're like, right. oh, this doesn't fit my lifestyle. Yep. It, like, yeah. do you? Does that drive you crazy? Yeah, it, it, that's my every day. Like, I mean, people get a Labrador and then don't train it. And, you know, all of a sudden, like six months later, he's 80 pounds and he's jumping all over their toddlers. And it's like, well, you didn't put the effort into training it. Like, I think that's the hugest part is because, you know, for the most part, unless there's some tragedy in the family, people don't give us the dogs that are great and they love. They give us the dogs that haven't had any socialization or training or they have a illness that they don't, you know, or don't want to or can't deal with. Um, so, yeah, that's a huge part of my job is just like identifying the medical or emotional needs of the animal and then putting a plan in place. You know, like we've had, you know, a lot of the dogs in our shelter right now, they're all really good. Um, and I guess that's something we could talk about is because since COVID has happened, the dogs are so much less stressed because we don't have people walking through the shelter all day staring at them. But we have a huge, a huge group of really dedicated volunteers. So, you know, all the cats get like 
time out of their kennels to wander and and just receive like love. And then the dogs get out for multiple walks a day, which is really good for their mental well-being. And our volunteers are so good. They like work on training and all these things. So I've seen some dogs where I was really concerned about their outcome um, turn around and become these great family pets. And it's it's all all due to this the kennel staff and the volunteers at the Humane Society. It's really it, those are the things that make me go, okay, I'm in the right place. You know, um, I can sleep at night. <laughs> I'm not standing <laughs> Dude, I mean, up thinking about this awful case I had. Like, yeah, and, and I, I'm, I feel a lot luckier too because I live in a, or I'm sorry, scratch that. I work at a non-kill shelter, so we don't euthanize for medical issues. You know, if something is severe enough where the animal can't survive, of course, humane euthanasia is, you know, the kindest thing we can do for the animal. Um, or severe behavior. I mean, I love animals, but occasionally there is one that is just, you know, kind of evil. <laughs> and we, we can't <laughs> safely adopt it out, like, and have that, you know, that on our conscience, knowing that this is actually a dangerous animal, um, those will sometimes be euthanized. So there's no such thing as a no-kill shelter, but, um, you know, those are so few and far between. Like I have, I, I moved back to Wisconsin in November and I, I, I haven't, I haven't euthanized anything for behavior issues at all. Um, which is such a nice thing where in the ER, I used to euthanize four, six, 10 things a night. And it really, really wears on you mentally having to do that and go through that every single day, knowing that there's 12 more cases after this one. So you've got to like wipe your tears off and put on your happy face and go into the next appointment. I want to ask Dave one question. Dave, you have your own golf course? (laughs) (laughs) Can the thoroughbred come over and hang out on the golf course? Is he a good putter? <laughs> so you just let your, your your dog, you know, walks around this golf course. With, is it a country club or no? It's it's when there's snow on the ground, she can she can. They're not golfing, so she can just run all over. Uh, nobody's gonna kick her off. Okay. No, and she's and Fifth she's and Ashton don't get upset. <laughs> the only thing that's, I mean, I take her. The good thing about Kentucky is there's tons of parks and and woods and whatnot for her to run around. I was worried about her recall for a long time, and I what I did realize is like based on her mix. She's comfortable being further away from me than I am her being away from me. So my wife would take her. Jess was doing fox hunting for a while and they don't actually hunt a fox. There's no foxes left, but they like they bring the hounds and she would run with the hounds and she got really used to that. So so she would be more comfortable being further away. But uh, I've trained her now that she's she's she'll come back when I call her. But uh, you don't actually take the dog on there when you're playing golf. No, no. So it's not like. Four. <laughs> she does eat golf balls though, and she'll she'll oh, no. she'll ch- chew them in half, and uh, and I have to get them away from her before she tries to swallow them. <laughs> what? So what? What does the day to day look like in the shelter? Like uh, I heard some shelters kind of have like they rotate jobs and things like that. Like what? What is? What does your day look like? And is it structured? My day is pretty structured. The thing we focus on the most is surgery, like spays and neuters for the most part, and. So that's pretty much what I do. Uh, I get there at 8 a.m. and we do surgeries until, until you know, 2, 1 or 2. And then the rest of the day I spend, I'm the only veterinarian there, so it, I have a lot more paperwork than I would like. Uh, And then, and just seeing like rechecking our sick animals and take, you know, we have a pretty good foster network too. So sometimes we do rechecks or sick appointments 
for those guys. But for the most part, it's surgery, <laughs> which I love. So, I mean, that's, that's, I love that more than anything. So it's a lot of spays and neuters. Um, I would, I was told you're the fastest enucleator west of the Mississippi. What? Who said that? <laughs> Did Henderson say remember. that? I think so. <laughs> so, and, and I was also told that you possibly could do it with your bare hands. You should explain what that is. Too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, nucleation is when you have to take an eyeball out because it's so, it's just either ruptured or infected. And um, you do a lot of those in the shelter because cats, when they get like upper respiratory infections, if they're not treated, they often end up losing their eye um, or eyes from it. So, I got really good at taking eyeballs out, which is weird. <laughs> it's like a horror movie. <laughs> I know. I kind of love it though. I, I have this thing where like I'll always take the eyeball out and then I'll take a picture of it and then I'll send it to someone just like, hey, what can I so do? There's no, HIPAA, there's no HIPAA rules for animals, huh? No, thank you. No. <laughs> or like if I take off a particularly large pair of testicles, I have to send that to my friend and be like, look at these things. Yeah. But the bare hands thing, I think is there's somewhere back in my Instagram, there's a, a picture of uh, I had to take an eyeball out of a cow, which is the size of like a league baseball. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And so it's just a picture of me holding this crazy eyeball in my hand. And then the, every time that's ever come up, someone's like, why aren't you wearing gloves? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you still got a little Lydia in you. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have some more cat questions. Yeah. Um. So like the trap cat mm -hmm. TNR. Um, yeah, TNR. Like, is there like a certain like if it's like a street cat, you put it back on the street kind of thing, or is there like adoptable adoptable cats or non adoptable cats that are found? Yeah, we do this a lot actually. That's um the the shelter I'm at. They didn't. They have a TNR program, which is stands for trap neuter return, and uh, they have a a program in place for people who have, you know, feral cats around. There's a lot of them here in Wisconsin, especially with you know, all the farms and things like that. Not and as many as Greece. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, yeah. There's that island that has like thousands yeah. of cats. Is that's that the, the one, one I'm talking about. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one I'm talking about. But they, uh, yeah, so they were without a vet for almost a year. And so a lot of those pro those community programs went by the wayside. And um, it's, uh, we've thankfully gotten to get that going again. But basically it's, you know, it's people in the community who care about the welfare of these cats. You know, you know, one cat can spawn thousands and thousands of kittens in its lifetime. And so when you have these overpopulation problems, you have impacts on the wildlife, you have impacts on like disease within the cat community. Um, and the lives they leave are they lead are so short and tragic, you know. They does it have impact on the rat? Yeah, the rats. I mean, that's that's what that's usually what we do with our feral cats is um, we have these nice people who notice in their community that they have, you know, some wild cats going around. They're not nice. I mean, these are like take your head off kind of cats. And they set out, you know, they rent little traps from us or not rent, but they put a deposit down, which they get back and they put out their traps with the tuna fish in them. And then in the morning they go out and see what's in there. And sometimes it's a cat. Sometimes it's a raccoon. Who knows? But um, and then they bring those to us and we sterilize them and then we return them to where they came from so they can live out do you take the raccoons too no i wish <laughs> would you do that with rats with what rats i think that's a that's a losing battle oh yeah i mean 
Well, nobody's tried it. <laughs> we could put true. some of these traps in the subway and have you sterilize them. That or would just be euthanize them. <laughs> <laughs> they could need some automation there, but I like that. You know what they did in the 1800, in like 1890s or so? They, <laughs> they paid everybody in New York, they paid a penny a rat, dead rat. Yeah. Really? Well, then they started, wor- but then they, started, then they started breeding them yeah, to make more money. Yeah. yeah. Imagine what they do now. They'd import them. Yeah. But, but you know what the thing, the thing about the rats in New York that I found out that was fascinating is the average age that they live to is like six months yeah, they they not. reach sexual maturity like super early so like even you know spaying and neutering rats wouldn't do that much because there's just so many and they just you know they reach sexual maturity so early that i think that would be a losing battle but you heard what happened with uh lockdown right yes it, they destroyed my internet connection <laughs> oh because all the because yeah. all the restaurants weren't cooking food. Oh. yeah so the they, they ate, they... there was no restaurants with no garbage so the rats were eating each other <laughs> yeah, so for sure. I mean, that's what they do. Uh, uh, so I have this thing. It you was know, in like, the post, so you know it's true. <laughs> there are. I feel like there's some bird people and there's cat people, yes. and they don't get along. They don't. So I had this situation where Kent McClard's like a bird guy. Yeah. And he posted like, like Mr. Wilson. I'm. I have a gun, and I'm going to shoot every cat I see. <laughs> and my friend already got into his big internet fight with them yeah he's like no you need to spay them and it it, it almost like destroyed uh, I, I guess unfortunately kent was about to distribute artie's record and it almost didn't happen <laughs> jeez dang that's, so, that's harsh <laughs> some passionate animal lovers here have you ever read uh, the world without us no the guy who wrote that book it's it's basically writing you know like a future history if people disappear mm-hmm that guy, that guy hates cats so much because of the amount of birds killed. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such Does a he hate windmills too. <laughs> he hates no. He definitely hates. But he also hates big glass windows as well. The other question though I have is: Have you ever been ganged up? By multiple macaws, because I have. <laughs> multiple macaws have ganged up on me and terrorized me psychologically. Yeah, if there was a cat there, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so the other thing is tougher than Bill. And speaking of the ransom thing, so my boss, like, she'd pay me extra to like take care of her macaws when she went on vacation. Oh no. And oh, no. one of them she sent one of them to a parrot psychiatrist. Oh my and the Lord. psychiatrist refused to return the bird. <gasps> <laughs> Why? He's like, I guess she mentally messed up the parrot too much and she didn't want to send her back. What? That sounds like a scam just to get more parrots. <laughs> Those things know. aren't cheap. No, they're know. not. I, I don't know. I think there's a certain type of person that, that has parrots. Yeah, you have to be pretty dedicated. But I don't recommend them. And now my, my wife makes fun of me because I'm afraid. I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we need more cats. So how many animals do you have personally, Annie? I have right now, and I'll say that because it's kind of changing all the time, but I have two dogs and two cats, and they're all uh, foster fails, um, <laughs> where I fostered them with no intention of keeping them, and then now it's been like four years, and they're all still here. So, um, But yeah, I have two dogs. I have like a mutt named Rooster, who is actually my... Uh, he was in our uh, group of junior surgery dogs in vet school. Um, when you first learn surgery, they have the vet school has contracts with the local shelters, and I had just finished a shelter medicine rotation at the shelter where this my dog came from and they have 
they are not no kill and they have like a 95% kill rate. So 95% of things that go in there don't come out. And Does that uh, qualify them as a no kill shelter name? No. <laughs> yeah, no. They, I get confused with the percentages. Yeah, no, they, they, they euthanize 95% of the animals that go in, which so is. Makes them yeah, kill yeah. And they're, you know, it's such a weird thing because they're so understaffed and funding is horrible for them. And so it's like, I, I, it's such a weird. So what percentage is it makes you a not no kill shelter? I don't know if there's really a percentage. Um, basically, the idea is that of a no kill shelter, shelter is that you don't euthanize for space. So animals come in and, you know, at a lot of the municipal shelters, they come in as a stray, say, and they have so many days that they are in that shelter. And if they are aren't adopted or reclaimed during that time, then they are euthanized. Because unfortunately, I mean, and this is a problem of our, our own causing, you know, because the pet population, not even pet, just animal population has gotten so out of control that, you know, a lot of these, no one wants to do that, you know. Um, it's just one of those things where there's just physically no space. And if you can't, you know, I think the idea behind those types of shelters is like to give the animal at least a chance. And, you know, if they don't get adopted in their time frame, you know, whether it's five days or seven days or 10 days or 30 days, you know, then you have to make space for the next one that might get a home, which is a horrible, uh, I, it's horrible. I heard they don't even give the pit bulls five minutes. That's true. Uh, a lot of places, uh, if they come in, they wait out their stray hold. Like each county across the U.S. has a, a amount of time that an animal, a stray animal is held waiting for the owner to come back and get it. And a lot of pit bulls, that's, that's like three days, you know. And that's, that's what happened to Petey. Petey? Oh, really? Little Rascals? Yeah. From, from Little Rascals? Yeah, yeah. They took it from, from Stymie. The guy was going to get back and we put him right in the gas thing. Before but it happened, oh, it happened in the show. It didn't no happen gas. to the real dog. I got really worried for a second. I was like, Petey? <laughs> uh, Don't you know so, Petey? Yeah. Yeah, everyone know. knows Petey. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So um, There's no gas. It, it was all right. Charlie, is that the research you did? Or are you going to tell us what happened to Mr. Ed and Rin Tin Tin next? No, I don't care. About Rin Tin Tin. Oh, let's not wait, talk wait, about Rin Tin Tin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you want to get me started here? He got hooked on all kinds of drugs. It went on a whole m awful, m m awful <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so the, some of the animals are staying there a while. It sounds like you have the volunteers kind of taking care of them. Is is it common for to give like animals like anti-anxiety medication and things like that too? Yeah, there's a there's a definitely real problem of kennel stress where you know, a lot of times the way shelters are set up, animals are across the hall from each other and they can see each other, you know, and there's always this moment like when I come to work, you know, the door opens and like every dog in that place starts barking because they know it's time to get fed. It's time to go out. It's time to go out. You know, we're lucky. We have like three that different players. across the street from me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this guy's got like eight dogs. I don't know. What oh my god, I don't. I can barely handle. They my keep two. coming all the time. I don't know what it is. Hmm, weird. Strange. Strange. But yeah, it's, but it's definitely like, <laughs> it, like it's definitely stressful for the cats to hear all those dogs. Barking, oh yeah, right? and and. Uh, it's stressful for the neighbors too. Yes, very stressful. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely like anxiety is a huge thing. They're just not, I mean, no matter, how, even if they get walked and stuff, they're still in a weird environment that's loud and stressful and there's 
people around and there's other dogs around and some of these dogs don't get along with other dogs. So there's definitely like, I think there's three at our shelter right now that are on um, like short-term anti-anxiety med and, you know. Do they have meat aggression? Some of them, yeah. Like food, you know? Like, is that what you mean? I don't know. I just heard that <laughs> dogs could have meat aggression. Dave Stein told me that. Food aggression. So, Annie, can I ask you a question? I've always wondered this, and I need a professional's perspective. Yes. Are crusties good dog parents or bad dog parents? <laughs> oh. Because <laughs> their dogs always seem very well behaved, but I don't know if that's in a bad way. So, I have a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, especially when I lived in the the East Bay. I worked in Berkeley at the Berkeley Humane Society. And then um, I also worked at the print shop at Shattuck and University, which was pretty much like across sort of from Amoeba. So I would always go down there and they'd always be these like crusty kids with the dog, you know. And but because I worked at the Humane Society, my problem, I th you know, there are a lot of like homeless people that have dogs and those dogs actually have great lives. I mean, as long as they're taken care of and fed and they're kept warm. And I mean, the one thing I get, I think that crusties have for them is that their dogs are really social because they see all kinds of people and other animals. And so they're, they tend to be really pretty chill dogs, like well-behaved, but unlike their owners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My problem with it comes with the, the medical care of the dog. You know, I, I remember we played a show once and like a ass flap kid came up and was like, you know, like my dog's got a UTI, like she's peeing blood. And I was like, yeah, you need to go to the vet. Like she needs antibiotics or something, you know, she needs to be checked out. And they're like, well, we've just been giving her like garlic and uh yeah. and cranberry oh, no. and i'm like well has that helped no okay well then go the fucking bet like i don't know what <laughs> you know so <laughs> fucking ass flap kids fucking ass flap <laughs> you guys better better watch i'm gonna get fired from being left over tax manager <laughs> So that's where my problem comes in. And I'm not saying that everyone is like that, but the problem, the one I'm specifically thinking of, of the kids that were outside the amoeba in Berkeley around 2001, is that they were letting their, their female dog breed with the other crusty group's male dog and having puppies and then selling the puppies on the street outside of amoeba for like 200 bucks. And so we kept getting these people coming in the humane society with these like puppies going, I just bought this from this group of crusty kids outside the record store because I felt bad for it. And it's like, oh, but the animals aren't like that. You're encouraging it. Yeah. It's like, it's like this <laughs> perpetual cycle. And I'm mean, like, you know, you can be all for like animal rights and stuff, but if you're like, you know, I don't know what better word, like whoring out your dog to have more babies so you can sell it. Like that's fucked up to do to the dog, you know? Yeah. That's like the, the crusties are like the Amish of the city. Like it's like <laughs> doing. <laughs> shitty, shitty we, animal we, no, we, we, oh, we, yeah. we can't, we can't diss the Amish like Why this. They're not that's listening. Not, that's not cool. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> they got a crank. They got a crank radio. <laughs> oh my god! Can I tell you about my favorite Amish guy ever? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so the so I where I lived in Wisconsin before, which is a really tiny town called Whitehall. There's a huge Amish population. Like like the Ace Hardware had a buggy hit for your horses you know like it's you often had to share the road with the the buggies and stuff and so i had a lot of amish clients and things like that but a lot of these guys work at the farms like they do milking and things like that 
and general like animal care, you know, like the day-to-day stuff, like farmhand stuff. And uh, there's this one guy, Yosef. I loved him so much. And every time I went into the barn, it'd be like 6 a.m. and I'd be out there for some whatever I had to do that day. And he he always had his sleeves rolled up and uh, he had his like pants rolled up. And he had this like big bulky knit like stocking cap. And he was always blasting like Public Enemy or NWA. And just like <laughs> hopping up and down the, the, the milk parlor, like singing and dancing and saying all this crazy <laughs> lyrics and shit. And I just like every day I loved going out there. I was like always excited when I got to go to that farm because he would always have some crazy like 80s hip hop playing. And it was just like the best thing ever. <laughs> Because it's just like so, it doesn't fit, you know, with your. There's no cultural context to any of those songs. Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, how do you even know what you're singing about? It's so funny, but I love that. That's I like loved that, Yosef. He's like, a great dude. <laughs> so, do you remember that guy Whitey from like, was it what's the name of that band? You know, what I'm talking about Jesse. That guy Whitey. He was in Stiff Sing. Oh, I do remember him. Yeah, so he used to so do a van rental thing, and I. Uh, he dr- drove drove us to a show one time. But I feel like he invented steampunk because he, he used to dress like he's from like 1896. Yes, yes. And then he'd be like, you know, oh, I have to go stuck up on headache powders and stuff. Yeah. And then, and Good. Then, but, but, but then you see him on the subway and he'd be listening to like Grindcore on his Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the Amish guys are always kind of a hoot because the old school guys, you know, I was the first woman that had ever been hired as a vet there in the 50 years they'd been open. So I always got kind of a hoot. Like I'd be, I'd get like a call about a sick horse or something and I'd walk up and this like old Amish guy would come out and just be like, oh, you know, you could just see him like it's a woman. (laughs) And uh, it's like, it's like going to B&H photo in New York City. (laughs) 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 Oh, a woman photographer. Oh, no. Um, oh, you gotta geez. go to separate separate cash register. Yeah, <laughs> but I did have a good exchange. Just one old like their sons are a little more like modern, and so like they would be. I mean, it's still an odd. There's some odd things about uh, the particular religion, but they the old timers were really funny because they come out. You know, when you do like pregnancy checks on cows, like you have to you put their your arm up to your shoulder into their rectum and you try to feel the calf or the fetus like through the, the rectum. You know, it's, and they'd always and you wonder why you get kicked. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I went out, they'd be like, "Wow, oh, you know, when Bruce, like the other vet, would come out, man, my cows would always be pissed and they'd be angry." for like a day and i'm like well that guy's like 300 pounds i'm like <laughs> i'm 5'7 and like 140 and i've got way smaller arms and so they started they started having me come out because i had smaller arms than the other guy <laughs> less intrusive than bruce's arms i guess yeah so I, I was told that i was told that body language is important but I, I think it meant you know what you said before around you can tell you know like i I think there's one point it's like you can tell if someone's going to listen to you like uh, yeah. you know with their with their pet but is there also a body language with the animals itself themselves oh absolutely yeah um pretty much like any horse or cow i would go see like i spent a i took the extra few minutes just to like let them know where i was and you know give them a little pet and just you know 
kind of run my hand down their body. So when I get to the part that maybe hurts, they won't just outright try and kick me. And same with dogs, like dogs and cats. I'm, man, I'm going to like jinx myself so bad because I have not gotten, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have not gotten bit in a really long time. But I think it's because most, like most of the time, animals give you so many chances to stop doing what you're doing before they resort to biting. It's not always the case, especially with like the feral cats and stuff. But I mean, it, I think over time, you know, I've been doing this. I've been in the vet field now. This is my 20th year. And I've, you just pick up on these really subtle body, body cues from the animals. So like if a dog's panting while you're looking at it and it suddenly stops or it suddenly stiffens um, or a cat, you know, their ears kind of go back or you see the little tail flip. These, Like when I'm looking at an animal, I'm looking at the whole creature um, and trying to kind of see where I'm at and, you know, see if I can get to what I need to do, you know, in the time frame that they're allowing me to do it, you know. And some dogs are just like, I don't care, do whatever you want, ha ha ha, you know. But um, yeah, they, there's, so, there's so many body cues. And the, the problem is that like it's dog language. So like, you know, if you watch dogs at a dog park, they go up, they kind of meet nose to nose and the tails are stiff in the air. And sometimes there's a hackle, but they're they're having this whole conversation with each other, trying to size each other up, you know, and and unfortunately, we're just kind of too deaf to that stuff. So I think that's where a lot of problems come from, too, is we try to force animals to fit to what we think a dog should be. Like when I was a kid, we had a like a collie mix named Peg. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, you know, we'd go to my mom and be like, oh, Peg bit us, you know, and she'd be like, well, what'd you do? And I'm like, oh, well, we were trying to eat her dog food out of her bowl with her, you know, <laughs> which me and my brother did. I don't know why. But um, and she'd be like, well, don't fucking do that. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science, right? But now we expect so much out of dogs. We expect them to like, and cats, but we expect them to like, just totally subdue all these natural instincts and things that they have learned as puppies with their litter mates and their, their mother, you know, growing up that gives them the, the tools they need to survive out outside of that litter, you know? And I think we're, we're just too deaf. We don't pay attention and we expect them to act a certain way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not really fair. It's always it's always hilarious to me and, and super fascinating with Dolly, with my dog, where you, you know, she'll meet another dog and I'll think that they're going to be a perfect match. They have the same energy level and whatever. Mm-hmm. And like they won't even have to sniff each other. They'll do that standoff thing where they're both kind of just staring at each other. Mm-hmm. Or she'll do like the little downward dog. Like they have little cues where she'll see if that dog wants to play with exactly. her. Exactly. And sometimes she'll just be like, nope, it's not <laughs> a good match. And it's really funny to watch because like you're like, but you, you, the and the other owner will be like, oh, no, my dog has been cooped up all day. Like, it wants to run around, too. But they'll just decide, like, yeah. nope, not going to happen. Do, do you feel like this this skill applies to, like, feeling out a crowd? Oh, for sure. <laughs> you, can you see if an audience li- is going to like your band before you start playing? Oh, my God. Oh, you know that Their shit. ears are pinned back. Yeah. Like, I look out and they're all, they're, they're just, they're all curling their lip. And I'm like, this is going to be shitty. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Amish there at all. No Amish at all. No. <laughs> Where's Yosef? 
we're joking about it, but do you think you've learned more about humans and how to how to negotiate interactions with humans based on like what you've learned from animals? Yeah, I think I'm. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a cross between animals and you know just my daily interaction with people, like as a assistant and a tech. Like I had a lot more in interaction with humans, but you know I think I've become a really good body language detector just in general. There's definitely something I don't know. Like you know people give off all kinds of cues, whether it's like, you know, their demeanor when they're talking to you or their eye contact or their body position, you know, and it's affected how I deal with things in life. You know, I definitely like with a horse, like I never walk straight up to a horse because that's what a predator does. It just walks straight up, staring them in the eyes. Right. So whenever I approach a horse, I don't know, I kind of turn my body to the side and kind of put my hand up and look at them out of the side of my eye, you know, and and try to feel them out first. And I found myself kind of doing that with people where (laughs) if somebody's kind of pissy, like I'll kind of turn my body to the side like they're a horse. So... I just do. I do the shortcut. I bring starlight mints, and they're always my friend. After. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that would make anybody friendly. <laughs> I, I, speaking of that, though, I was told that you're kind of the best at managing up to the boss. Like you can rally the troops around you. I mean, oh, no. I feel like that's related. Do you think you got that from punk rock or or from the animals? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, punk, like just growing up, like it's really all I ever knew. I went from like, like hair metal to like the cure to like punk, you know, like it was just like this in like two years just went from A to Z. And, uh, and most of my upbringing has been like with like the local punk scene, you know? And so of course there's an independent spirit and you get these ideas of like what's right and what's not right. And, or at least for me, what's right and what's not right. And, and what you'll tolerate and what you won't tolerate. And, you know, there's a lot of shitty bosses out there. And I think that's why I went into like labor history when I went to undergrad before was like, you know, like people lost their lives trying to get us just down to a 40 hour work week, you know, like um, it, for some people, this has been a life and death part of their whole life. And it's really touching and really important. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget those things as we're like, oh, I don't want to go to work. It's like, but we're not working like 364 days a year for 14 hours either. You know, it's kind of a weird slant to go on, I think. But <laughs> could, could, could you see yourself becoming a boss? No, not at all. I have no desire. <laughs> I don't ever want to own a clinic. I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't even like being a manager. Like I've, I've been a manager before and I fucking hate it because I think, I think I'm too diplomatic Uh, because when somebody's like fucking up at work, like I can kind of see their side, you know, like, and maybe that's where the punk part comes in is like, yeah, I wouldn't want to come to work for minimum wage and fucking not get paid overtime. And like, that sucks. Like, I, I'd have a shitty attitude too, you know, or I wouldn't make it a priority to be here on time, you know, and it feels weird to like, it just is like everything against my being to like, to, to get on someone about shit. But then I'm also like, but we also need to make this place function for the good of the animals. So it's a shitty position to be in. I don't, I don't ever want to be a boss. I don't want to own anything. I, I like working, like I have a bit of autonomy where I work because I'm the only veterinarian. So it's, it's less of a control situation. But I mean, yeah, there's some really shitty bosses there. And I I like listening to people's stories a lot. 
And I think one of the things I've noticed in my adult life is that people kind of tend to tell me about themselves, like their lives or their problems. I don't know why. Maybe because I just, I go, oh, really? And I don't walk away. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's good. You, you don't need to be a boss. You broke up that ambition mission a long time ago. <laughs> I was not Sorry. the boss in that Stupid man. joke. Um, but uh, no, I think also because I've been in those shoes, like that makes me a better doctor because I've been the assistant and I've been the receptionist and I've been the vet tech. And like, I know the problems that are go with those jobs, which is low pay and shitty management and all kinds of stuff. So like, I really empathize with people, like when they tell me they're their problems. And especially when you're working in like nonprofit sectors, like oftentimes you're governed by like a board of directors who has no idea what you're actually doing day to day and how hard everyone's working to like make sure these animals are taken care of. So, you know, I, I understand the worker's frustration, you know, a lot. And it, it, you know, I don't think I learned any of that from the animals. I think that's all from punk rock. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesse was really tight with Robert Smith? What? <laughs> Jesse did a Cure album. Didn't you do I a did, Cure I album? I didn't do a Cure album. Wait, how? What? Wait, what? Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for Ross Roberts, uh, the one in 2004 I got called to do that one so is that blood flowers uh it's the one after that it's the self-titled okay oh that's like my least favorite cure record (laughs) (laughs) that's nice you know the press considered it their their last comeback record so i'll take their (laughs) word over yours thank you (laughs) (laughs) it's no 17 seconds yeah i'm gonna have to go listen to it because i really dropped off after disintegration like that was the the end i like i think yeah there's one of their best songs on wish but it's like the only good one yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna ask about the pandemic because i i I keep reading news stories and things about Mm -hmm. you know there's so many people adopting pets um i i just i kind of worry that you know they are gonna go back to work or you know realize their hours have changed and then Mm -hmm. the shelters will get bombarded do you think it's a overall you think it's going to be a good thing as far as like shelters getting emptied for now like (sighs) on long term i don't know we talk about this all the time at work because like we can barely keep animals in the shelter right now we have empty kennels for the first time in years you know and it's it's really weird because like we actually just today got a group of like eight dogs from a from a place in Tulsa like a rescue that's overcrowded there like we reach out to other shelters and go like just give us a pile of dogs you know because sometimes just moving them to a new place is is what the key to them getting adopted you know also pun pun names right you gotta get a name them like you gotta name them funny funny names oh my god i don't get to name them anymore and i think that's the shittiest part of my job <laughs> <laughs> no but i've noticed like that whole like the shelters by us that get the adoptions they like they'll do like the facebook posts and they'll be like this is like eartha kitty and yeah. she's you know <laughs> she's a vamp and she loves you know like and like and like they do like the backstories and everything mm-hmm. and i think that actually really does help it does it's there's a whole there's a whole like group of three people at our shelter now who you know they have their main job at the shelter but that's what they work on is like writing up profiles for our animals and things like that which is hilarious but you know I wanted to name our horse Pony Danza but my wife didn't let me That's amazing <laughs> 
We used to name a, like a, uh, I used to work at the Berkeley East Bay Humane Society with this woman, Jane. Uh, and she's just, she's the best. And we had a whole running list of things of like names for groups of kittens and puppies and things. And it was great. That's a great part of my job. And I get really bummed because like, like I love that part of it. Like, you know, we'd name like, they'd have names like Fender, Hiwa, and Ampeg. And like, only we knew what that meant, but it was really cute, you know, <laughs> when you're like, oh, Hiwat's getting adopted. You know, that's great. Um, but yeah, I'm no. waiting for like, here's here's Yosef and he loves public enemies. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've definitely named some animals after other animals that I loved. Um, I used to have a Vespa and I named it Scoopy after a lab named Scoopy that I loved who had like a swayback, like, you know, those swayback mules kind of. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's part of it. And now they're all the ones we have now, like they just get named when they come in. So it's all like buttons and bubbles. And I'm like, what? <laughs> What's your least favorite animal name? Do you have one that you're just like, you hear it and you're just like, God damn it. Not another one. Lucky. Lucky. Oh, <laughs> I hate Brooklyn. It makes me want to kill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's like Brooklyn, the name. Yeah, well, child or dog. It's like, here's Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn yeah. used to be good before those hipsters moved in. I got, I got more cat questions. <laughs> this is also related to Artie. So hypoallergenic cat litter, is that a scam or is that real? Uh, I think it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> the litter, awesome. you mean like like for the box? Yeah, like the litter. Yeah, like so... You know, we he, we actually he actually wrote this song for my band because he realized he he loves animals and hates people, and he was like walking in the freezing cold, you know, in Brooklyn with this like forty dollar bag of cat litter, <laughs> and and homeless people were begging him for change, and he was like laughing. So. Oh my god! No, <laughs> there's a line in the song. It's like my cat shits on a, a cushion of feathers while you enjoy the New York weather. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad I couldn't understand your lyrics. It really right? allowed me to like your band. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's, there's another one. The, the, next, the next line is like, uh, don't ask me for 45 cents. That can't buy a squeak out of Dave Wilentz. So. <laughs> the second qu cat question is about this drop. Cats landing on their feet, like dropping a cat. Mm -hmm. Is it true that a cat drop from three stories is worse off than one drop from seven stories? I mean, I think they're kind of fucked either way. <laughs> um, okay, I just wanted to dispel those myths. Terminal velocity pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, it's a splat factor, you know. But it, it is weird. Like you can go on, like you know, on the internet and find videos of people like doing the slow mo and the way the cat rotates so it lands again is so fucking cool. Like they just literally like look like like wringing out a rag. You know, they just like twist and the rest of the body follows. It's really cool. But yeah, I mean, I think you know. Don't wait. You don't want to encourage cat throwing though i mean like, watch the video it's for science it's it's cool <laughs> so you so i, I want to talk about music just for a second yeah. so we barely band, have dave you're okay i know i haven't at all um <laughs> your uh your band managed to put out an album during a pandemic how did that happen <laughs> no it's so crazy and was that a good idea i think it's because it was already done when the pandemic hit did you think about like holding it until you could like play shows to support it and stuff or were you just like fuck it let's get it out no i think we just wanted to put it out this band is called time thieves this is my most like recent thing it's with my friends jonathan and mike and tim 
And there's a, a woman named Lily in it for a bit, but she is not in it anymore. It's weird because it's like a bunch of like dirty, punky kids that decided to make like a legitimate musical. Try something like try to play good music. You know, not, like not. It's a great pop stuff. record. I mean, I was listening to it today, and I was like, the hooks on it are awesome. And you have like, I'm such a sucker for those keyboards too. Oh, and like, yeah. it just it's everything sounds so good. Like the the choruses are great. I even texted the guys. I was like, Annie's band is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. It's weird. It's it's like it kind of rentals y or so. If, I don't know. If that yeah, makes... that's exactly what I thought about. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. If you had told it me sounds like that nineties that nineties like power poppy, yeah. like it's like teenage fan club or like rentals kind of stuff, like that that whole element is really I think that's what we were going for. If you had told me when I was fifteen that I'd be in a band with a a, a keyboard, I'd been like, Fuck you, man. Hey <laughs> 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 <I hate> keyboard. <laughs> Except for the cure. Yeah, except for the cure. I mean, yeah. It's just got to be sad. Lol knows what he's doing. <laughs> so what's the plan to keep plucking eyeballs at work and keep blasting people's ears at shows? <laughs> what, what, what happens in the future? I'm hoping to combine them into one venue so we can just <laughs> cut nuts off and then like go jam and then go back. <laughs> It could be it could be like a guar, like a, a you know, a more scientific guar. Oh, totally. you know, when I was like, I don't know, maybe 16, I went so like I grew up, you know, Chicago's like got this huge like, you know, this history of, of uh, like industrial music. And I, I kind of got into that in high school a bit. And uh, when I was like 16, I went to go see Skinny Puppy. And uh, so like the ogre got ogre comes out and he's got like one arm kind of tucked in like he's all fucked up right and you know things are flashing i'm right in the front going like oh my god and he like reaches apparently what he had done is saran wrapped a bunch of like pig intestines around his middle so he like reached up and then into his stomach and pulled out these pig intestines and like just threw them everywhere sprayed everywhere you know just it was like you know and like 16 year old me is like oh that's so cool <laughs> and so i got home at like i don't know like one in the morning and my mom had gotten up in the night and i walk in the door just covered in blood and like corn syrup and whatever and she's just like shaking she didn't even care she like shook her head and she was like good night and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i started telling that story <laughs> I, I think i think it speaks volumes <laughs> have you have you ever thought about recording the animals at the shelter and doing some kind of like the dog singing jingle bells type of album <laughs> no but now i kind of um... i feel like there's a market there for punk songs like if you could do like like california uber Alice, but only with dog this. barks well, uh, we... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, it sounds it sounds better than k-ninus i love k-ninus too <laughs> or, uh, what's that what's that been <laughs> <laughs> What's that band? Like That's, Hate uh, Beak, where they have the parrots. Hate screaming? Beak was the split. Yeah, it was the <laughs> K9 is Hate Beak split, seven inch. But we we already had that guest. We didn't even mention that. So <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Just Justin Brannon's uh, project. That was him? Hate me? Oh, it's, his, I didn't know it's, that. it's his dog. Oh, yeah. okay, no, no. I did ask him about his, all his animal rights stuff, but I didn't mention K9. So. But I just remember that there was a. Uh, as like um, Stuff Magazine or something, one of those like men's magazines, like wrote like an article. Like the Lesser Maxims, like the one yeah, that Lesser Ma Maxim. Yeah, Les yeah, Lesser Maxim wrote an article about K9-us and he was like, can you mention my other band? And they are like, nope. <laughs> I kind of want to start a band called Lesser Maxim. That sounds awesome. 
<laughs> we uh from an earlier episode we've still been hung up on the idea of a band called the constant lotharios uh, <laughs> it came out of charlie's mouth for, i don't even know what it was was that Frank McCourt? No, Mr. T. No, T no, no, no. It was, it was, no, it was Mr. Uh, T talking Le- about Leon Spink. Leon Spink. That's right. That's what he said. <laughs> really? Constant Lothario. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Jesse, before I think you stepped away, I was saying that there's a punk. You were involved with a punk super group that became the Benny Mardones reunion record. Is that right? <laughs> That's about um, it. Well, I have, I have a question for Annie because I it's not that I won't it's not that I'm against doing it, but I don't know what I'd be doing. My dog has the anal sacs that fill up and it smells Whoa. fucking terrible. <laughs> and I have to take her to the vet and they have to express her glands. How is there like a way to do? Do I just like push in and down? Like how do I how do I do it at home or should I just or, not even? Or try more it? importantly, could Dave really mess this not up? Do it on the air. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> This is the bonus. For, this is the bonus stuff for uh, the Patreon. And you too members. can pay extra to hear this. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go to Patreon. That's it, kids. The gig is up. The cops are here, and your mom is going jails, hospitals, and all your friends' houses, wondering where you've been. Tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at KilledByDesk.com.